The following podcast contains language that is not suitable for everybody. Alrighty, welcome to issue 168 of Super Skull. It's your weekly new Comic Day audio digest, this time for the week of November 22nd, 2017. I'm here with Curtis Sullivan. What is happening, young Nick? And no one else. It's Curtis versus Nick. It's just a two-man show today. There's just the two of us. I know, what are we going to do? It's weird in the studio without... With, with just the two of us. I can look you in the face, though, and it feels good. I'm not going to lie. It feels real good. And I'm not going to lie either. I'm not going to look you in the eye the whole time. Really? Because it's a little intense. It's <laughs> happening right now, and it's a little intense. I'm looking deep into your soul, my brother. I don't know that I could keep it up for an hour. Do you think you could keep it up? Probably not. Well, it might get weird. But let- <laughs> <laughs> See, it's already fucked. Uh, let's just dive right in. We can't screw around with this anymore. Let's just do some in the news. we got an action-packed show. Let's get in the news. Marvel Comics has a new editor-in-chief. So Axel Alonso is out. Axel Alonso is out. You know what I love saying? What? Axel Alonso. That's a mouthful. It's a beautiful name. He's out. After, let's see, it's 2017. After six years in the editor-in-chief position at Marvel Comics, Axel Alonso has stepped down to be replaced by C.B. Sibulski. Yes. And there's no way I'm saying that guy's name right. That's totally right. You nailed it. Sibulski. So Axel Alonso had replaced Joe Quesada in 2011. And he was, he's got a very long and complicated legacy at this point. Yes. Uh, his, the six years he was at Marvel were, were wild. They were wild. They were tumultuous. Yes. Big, big things, new characters, crazy ups and downs. On measure, I think you have to say that it was a pretty amazing run as editor-in-chief of uh, of any comic publisher. If I'm looking at Marvel Comics, other than the Casada era, it's yes. my favorite era of Marvel. You like it more than the Casada. Let's come back to that. Yes. So at this point, you know, when Alonso comes in, Marvel has been acquired by Disney pretty recently. So in 2009, Mar- uh, Disney acquired Marvel. Yes, which is... Wild and for many other reasons, but and really, you start to see like the fruition of that and like the effect of that in the comic books and in the titles and in the creative stuff started to happen during Alonzo's run as editor in chief. So right off the bat, we have uh, th- that's a crazy development to be bought by one of the biggest companies in the world. Yeah, and I'm sure they've got you know the whole structure of how business is being done is changing. You're a new editor in chief. Yeah. That's got to be uh, extremely difficult. Probably a lot of voices in your ears about how things are going to go and and how to pre- you know how to proceed. Most definitely. So then we also have he he oversaw Marvel Now. Remember Marvel Now? Yeah. Oh yeah. This was a big company wide relaunch. It was probably the biggest one ever attempted by Marvel. This was about a year after the success that DC had with the new Fifty Two. Yeah, it was a direct response to that. Yeah, and this is something that like. You think about being commonplace, but really it's only commonplace in the last six or seven years of these really big rebrandings and renumbering everything at number one. New 52 was the biggest like kind of branded effort at doing something like this. 
that I can think of. Absolutely. Company-wide? Yeah. I have never seen anything like that in my time of reading comics, and that's, you know, going on 35 years. Because not only is it renumbering everything and, like, putting a big label at the top of each comic, but you are, you know, starting the continuity over for a lot of different stuff. You're shaking up the creative teams. It's it's a huge kind of combined complex company effort. And Marvel now was uh, was, was massive at the time. Oh, did Curtis ask me if I turned my phone I, off? I turned my So in Nick versus Curtis, the podcast, so far, that's definitely a point for Nick. Most definitely. We're going to call that one for Nick. <laughs> Do you have any objection? I, yes, take it. You'll allow it. Perfect. And we'll just keep score the whole episode. This is going to be a lot of fun. So Marvel Now gives way to all new Marvel Now, and then eventually all new, all different Marvel Now, mm-hmm. which technically, I was looking at this the other night, technically we are still in all new, all different Marvel. Now. They don't put the label at the top of it, but that is that that was the, uh, the, the effect of that kind of relaunch is what we're still currently in. Well, that's great. I'm glad they're not putting that on covers anymore. Yeah, because that was pretty stupid. That's all we did was talk shit about that the whole time. I know. And now we have Legacy, which is like Marvel going back to its legacy numbering. We talk about it on the podcast constantly. And Alonzo also spearheaded this one, we have to assume, right? Because that's totally happened under his purview. Absolutely. So what I'm getting at is that Alonzo began this like six year and still ongoing to this day project of like regularly revamping the continuity, the format and the numbering of Marvel Comics. So this, I think a lot of this stuff was kind of gimmicky and a lot of it was kind of greed headed and it was kind of trying to like soak some dollars out of folks. But the effect of it creatively was that we have some of the best comics I think that Marvel has ever put out. Absolutely. I think Marvel, for a while there, was leading... They were they were at the forefront of the most interesting stuff. Absolutely. You know, I, I was wishing that DC and other publishers would kind of pay more attention to Marvel, which sounds weird to say. Yeah. You know, but there was definitely a moment in time where they were putting out... I was reading more Marvel two years ago than damn near everybody put together. Because let's talk about some of the, the talent that Marvel's working with at this point. This is Jason Aaron, Jonathan Hickman... Right, Tanahasi Coates yep. came into write Black Panther during this period. Uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick, Charles Soule had a really cool couple of runs on a bunch of different books: Death of Wolverine and She Hulk. Donnie Cates started coming over to Marvel right at the tail end of Alonzo's run. G Willow Wilson and Miss Marvel is during this run. Who now is a an editor at the editor's table? Yeah, which is first first female editor at that table. Yeah, and Miss Marvel is one of the absolute watershed moments in comics period, I think, and I think you'd agree, yes. in the last many years. So, I, I mean, I would go as far as, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna make a big, broad, declarative statement. I mean, I, these are just the, some of the best superhero comic books ever made, period, by this group of writers. Agreed. And that's not nothing. This J- is all under this one dude. Jason Aaron's Thor is the, be- the definitive Thor one, and I'll put it up against anyone. I know people love Simonson. Yeah. I think it's the definitive one Happened under Alonzo by Jason Aaron. So, and, and there's many more. Yeah. So, we also, you know, Alonzo also oversaw three of the biggest years of sales for Marvel Entertainment. In uh, the history of the company. In the history of the company. He also oversaw this, like, philosophical shift in this move to include more diverse uh, and younger characters and more diverse creators in comics. 
than had ever been seen before, more concentrated at one point than had ever been seen before in comics. So, you know, uh, Miss Marvel got her own title at this point. She-Hulk got her own title. Miles Morales' Spider-Man came into being at this point. Sam Wilson became Captain America. Black Panther got his own series for the first time in a really long time. Amanda, uh, Amadeus Cho becomes a totally awesome hog. You can like literally go on and on and on. All of these characters that are not white dudes enter the Marvel pantheon yeah. at this point. So yeah, characters of color and also creators, creators of color. Yes. Really, that was an important, Al- Alonzo made that a, a, a big deal. Yes. And rightfully so. The, yes. the time has come and is, and needs to continue going. And he, you know, caught a lot of flack for it and continues to catch a lot of flack for it. And recently, he seemed to fall back on his heels a little bit. And again, I don't you don't I don't know all the machinations that are they're going on behind the scenes at Marvel. But when faced with like falling sales numbers and the complaints of idiots, then he, there were he did kind of like what I wanted. They maybe this wasn't fair. What I wanted Axel Alonso to do in the face of people complaining about like losing their heroes and right. and you know yeah, I can't recognize Captain America anymore. <laughs> Thor is a woman. Thor is a woman. What I want Alonso to do is say uh, you know go fuck yourself yep. and uh, buy, read somebody else's comics because this is the future and this look what we're doing with it. Yeah, and or or I dare you people who are talking that shit actually read some of these books yes because they'd blow your doors off and and I that might be I don't know that that's a reasonable thing to expect out of a dude at the helm of a multi-million dollar company right like that's just what I wanted him in my heart to do but maybe that's not fair to ask I don't know no maybe it is fair man in a, per- in a perfect world that would be so cool uh, but Marvel is they're the, the biggest publisher in comics yeah no matter how many how, you know we're in year two of kind of down Marvel sales they're yeah. still far and away the biggest oh, yeah. shit on the planet as Absolutely. far as comics go. And are consistently at the top of the market share every single month. Yep. So Alonzo's reign is like, it's a little reactionary. It's a little trend chasing. But I think as I sat down and like looked at what happened during this dude's tenure, it, it's I'm pretty much like in awe of creatively what Marvel did Agreed. during this period. And I, I wish he would have pushed it to its obvious conclusion and just gone really, really hard in the direction that you know, that that he started on and that he got the ball rolling down. But, you know, what the fuck do I know? I don't know what's how, what it's like to, to, to run a company of that size. Yeah, and it's got to be a tough spot, right? I mean, it, he is getting voices in his head from a million different angles, telling sure. him this, that, and the other. He's looking at market share. He's looking at dollars and cents. Yeah. But, again, favorite editor in the history of the company for my money. Yes. The Jonathan Hickman stuff that was done at Marvel, I think will stand the test of time Years from now, if we're still talking about comic books at all, we will be talking about Agreed. John Hickman over at Marvel, and that's that's a result of his tenure. So Excellent. Yeah. Curtis, who is he being replaced with? So C.B. Sabolsky started at Marvel Comics way back in 2002. Mm-hmm. So he's been with the publisher for 15 years, doing all kinds of stuff. He helped launch uh, the Tsunami brand over at Marvel, which hosted Runaways, Mm-hmm. By Brian K. Vaughn. He's the guy who brought Brian K. Vaughn over to Marvel. Good move. Super good move. That's a classic book. Very beloved. The series is back now. It is also about to be a, a TV show that looks very promising. Mm-hmm. Um, he also uh, worked as the vice president of international brand management. So he was in China. He li- moved to China, lives there for years and years. And he's getting Marvel translated into other languages. He's scouting talent from other countries. He's this 
that that's one of his most crucial roles is recruiting new talent. Mm-hmm. He brought Phil Noto in, Sarah Pacelli, Steve McNiven, Scotty Young. I mean, this guy has brought in a ton of the big, big heavy hitters. Like Scotty Young for probably three years was like the synonymous yeah. with you know Marvel Comics and yeah. so. Yeah, he's this awesome, awesome dude who he's he's very well liked in the industry. The talent likes him a whole lot, which is, you know, a great thing to have for, you know, an editor in chief. Maybe that's the most important thing. Maybe the ability to cultivate and find and encourage and grow talent is the only job. I have no idea. God, I would love to find out what that dude's day is like. Right. What is a what does a day look like for the editor in chief for Marvel Comics? Yeah. I mean, and how do you find new talent? Are you just traveling hitting show after show after show are you just hanging out in deviant art and lurking all over the I'm internet sure that you're just getting like a just a deluge of stuff just sent to you right unbidden sure. is that how it still works is it just submissions coming in hand over fist no is that idea. right God, in the I mail i want to find out so um i think it's pretty cool this guy they promoted him from within and i'm super into that this guy's been with the company for like 15 years i think it's very cool that they promoted somebody that's been there who's worked with Talent, he's done stuff. It's interesting. We'll see. Yeah. Shit's shaking up over at Marvel. Got Brian Michael Bendis leaving. You got Axel Alonso leaving. It's no joke. Shit's going to change. Curtis, yes. It, it so so far Nick versus Curtis. Uh huh. It's Nick one, Curtis zero. Mm. All I basically need to do is just defend at this point. At this point, score nothing else. Yeah, it'll be real. Which make, you will not. It'll make for a really interesting game, and just to like n- allow no errors, and then I win. How are you feeling about your prospects so far? I think I'm going to destroy you. This is our first competitive podcast. <laughs> I feel like it's going to be a solid three one, Curtis. You're calling 3-1 now. You're calling right your now. shot right now. Yeah. Fucking sweet, man. So get ready. I have a question for you. My friend. On that note. What do you, what, buddy? It's yeah. Thanksgiving tomorrow. It is. What are you thankful for? Should I get, can I get sappy? Because I, I want to. I guess. Well, I've had a great year of hanging out with, with friends playing games. Mm-hmm. And it's the most games I've played in, in all my life, probably in this last year, I've played that many games. Board games? Board games. Sitting at a table, mm-hmm. moving little cardboard pieces and wood cubes around and stuff like this. Yeah. It's been the best. Looking people in their eyes. No no There's electronics. No, scre- no screens. You know? Yeah. Uh, I'm in love with that, and I'm just going to keep doing that. Tomorrow for Thanksgiving, we're going to eat a bunch of food, mm-hmm. but the plan is to sit around and play some more games. Yeah. I'm extremely, extremely hype about that. As, so- I, as somebody, th- I've worked with you for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I've known you for 20 years, and or longer even, maybe. Long, yeah, 22-ish. And you, you've always loved board games, but this is, it's been really cool this year watching you dig into it so hard, because I can tell it makes you really happy and that you're really into it. I'm super into it, and I used to only play stuff where it'd be like zombies or like yeah. tanks versus dragons. Yeah. But I've been playing like a lot more stuff. But like at the beginning of the year, you were just like, I'm just going to play as many board games. But like that was a conscious choice you made. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and and the 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 hangout time, unprecedented. I gotta recommend it to li- anybody. Yeah, if you're looking to feel better and and have a good time with your friends. Yeah, sit down with a board game. Yeah, let's do it. 
Agreed. What about you, my friend? What well, are you I, looking? I did not think we were going to be serious. I did, I was not planning on. So I was gonna. I had some jokes in the can about like now that the industry's collapsed, we can stop doing this fucking podcast. You know this kind of thing. And you're thankful to not sit in this little room. Exactly. But now I now I feel sheepish. What else are you thankful <laughs> for? I well, you know what? I think about this a lot lately. But me and my wife have been together for 27 years. Oh my goodness. And we're just getting older. And I got my reading glasses, and we were just sitting on the couch the other night, and I was wearing my readers, mm-hmm. and I was reading my comic books, and she was making coffee. And you had your, you just got readers, didn't you? I just got them just this week. Yeah. And it was just really cute, and I just had this flash of like, you know, in 20 more years, like me and Liz are going to be like crazy old, mm-hmm. and, and hopefully we'll be that cute-ass old couple. That's pretty cute, so, man. So I'm thankful for that. That's really nice. Yeah. That's excellent. Not to get too deep about it, but you know. Yeah, you've. Um, I'm gonna give you a point actually because you uh, turned that segment around <laughs> good, good, into good. something into something different. Something you're actually thankful. I thought for. it was going to be snark and antagonism, and you made it very heartfelt and very nice. Well, so norm- now it's one to one. Here's the thing. Normally, I I don't. This is the first year where really it took me like 45 years to like not be a dick. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Go on. What do you mean by well, that? Well, no, normally it was like people like, "What are you thankful for this year?" And like, Jack fuck shit. you, yeah. fuck yeah. all. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you happy with that park? <laughs> <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> but you're there. Finally, you're there. I'll yeah. stick with some readers and some board games. But yeah, four decades on Earth and, you know, soften you up a little bit. All right. Okay. There it is. I'm a little, um, I'm a little uh, annoyed by your happiness because you scored a point. So that's pretty irritating I to I, me. I, okay. We'll call it Nick one, Curtis one. All right. And let's move into the big picks. This is where shit's really going to go down now. Please. That's what samurais say when they're getting ready to duel. Please. Please. Is that what they say? They do. Every week is New Comic Book Day. Every Wednesday is New Comic Book Day. It happens every single week. I swear to God, it happens every single week. In every country on Earth? In every country on Earth, all over the place. And we read all of it. We read all of the new comics that come out on New Comic Book Day. We tell you what the best ones are. We give you some to consider. If you're just going to buy a few comics this week, you should buy these ones. Please consider these. There's probably more that you should get, but you should please consider these. It's almost as if there's any number of things that you could be thankful for over the course of the year because objectively you are alive and, you know, you've probably done some good people have been good to you even in passing ways, even if you're not directly aware of it. Uh, But it's the ones that you just kind of like you just focus in on and gripe about and get pissed about and complain about all the time. Uh That's because it's so delicious to just like bitch about something, just something real, real petty. (laughs) I'm just trying to stay angry. Just trying to stay angry, and you and you find that juicy morsel of thing that you just want to get real pissed about, and you feel real good while you do it. Okay. In the worst way in your mind and heart. Those are our big picks. And I'm thankful for them. <laughs> Curtis, what was your big pick? This I'll week? go first then. My big pick was Thanos 13. Ooh. It's a big one, three for Thanos. Mm-hmm. He's a god. He's getting bar mitzvahed. He is. Finally. This is a legacy comic, and that's why I'm recommending number 13, because it's really a number one. Mm-hmm. This issue has Donny Cates taken over. We were talking about it a little earlier. He's one of our favorite writers right now. He's move over to, moved over to Marvel Comics. He's uh, joined by his partner in crime, Jeff Shaw, who is the artist on, the, on this book. He's a very nice artist. They did a book called God Country together. We're, we talked a lot about God Country. It was our book of the month not too long ago. We just love it. Go out and get that book. It's one one graphic novel at this point. Yeah. Hunt it down. It's worth your time. 
This is another legacy book. I feel like we've been picking a bunch of legacy books. Yes. Even though the numbering's weird, and we think that it's kind of confusing to a lot of folks, even to us who work at a comic book store, issue 783 of some comic that was issue 16 last week. This it's a little worst, weird. This is the, the worst part of it is that, like, I, I can see somebody's eyes. I can, I'm can. i talking to somebody at the comic shop. This is the thing. We both work at a comic yep. shop. And I, I'm like, this is a great book. And Marvel has put out a bunch of great books under this line. And I'm trying to tell somebody about it. But they're like, why is it issue 131? Yeah. And you got to start explaining it to them. And the second you start explaining it to them, I see their souls leave their body. Mm-hmm. And they just go someplace else in the, in, the, in the ether. No, they've died a little bit. We've added a wrinkle to their brow. They've died a little bit. They don't care. They want to put it back. And you got to like really sell them on it. No, we're serious. We work here. We, we read it. Maybe we just put little stickers over the numbers. It says number one. It just says nothing. Wait, maybe that's the future of comics. No, no numbers. Num- no numbers. Thanos. Thanos. Just think about it. Okay. What did you think of this book? Doing it. I loved it. This is a great, great jumping on point. This is another great legacy comic. This storyline's called Thanos Wins. So for those of you who don't know, Thanos is this mad titan. He was born from these gods called Eternals. 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 And they're these ancient beings that like seed worlds and they're like the gods that go around and create worlds. They created Earth. They're pretty cool. They're pretty awesome. Jack Kirby created these guys way back in the day. But by, I guess I mean they're benevolent. They, the eternal, or they, Eternals. They can be. Chaotic neutral? Yes, there you go. Okay. Because if, if, if things get out of uh, you know their purview, they may uh, come back and shut it down. Okay. That said, Thanos uh, craved power. He was born with a mutation. Mm-hmm. He killed his parents. Shit. He's a bad dude. He met Death, the embodiment of Death, who in the Marvel Universe is a, a woman. She's a lady. She's yeah. a skull-faced lady. Yeah. And the only way to get Death's attention is to kill. What? Yeah. Oh, man. So, so Thanos decides. What, Thanos? He didn't, like, start DJing or something? He went straight to, <laughs> straight to murder. Genocide. Yeah. Fuck. By the millions, right? Because you need mega death. To get her attention. Like killing a couple people, killing a world. Death death don't care. I've seen that before. So he just goes on a kill crazy rampage. He's just raising worlds. Yeah. To the ground. You know, and uh, in his mad quest to get death to love him. It doesn't go well. Wow. He fights a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, he's troubled. He's angry. He's been everywhere. This book He's finds known us throughout the galaxy. He is. He's like one of the most famous badass dudes in the galaxy. Yeah, if Thanos is coming, shit your pants. There's like Galactus, Thanos. There's like a you know Mephisto. There's a couple badasses in the Marvel universe where like you're done if that dude's coming. Yeah, he's one of them. We're just lucky that the galaxy's really huge. That's right. And that Earth is very small. That's like the reason that you know. We're still doing okay. That's right. He's way on the other side of a billion light years yes. away. That's what killing I'm, some that's other what planet. I'm thankful for. Yeah. I'm thankful for the the uh, the realities of scale in the universe that yes. allow Thanos to just forget about us occasionally. In an infinite sea of worlds. Yeah. Maybe he won't get to us. Thank goodness. Um, this book is about. Uh, so, I don't want to give the end of this book away. We we open on Thanos yet killing yet another world. He's and on, conquering another world. He's on the Chitauri homeworld. The Chitauri homeworld. That's the aliens from the Avengers movie. Who I always confuse with scrolls. Totally different. But they have wrinkles in their foreheads and not their chins. Exactly. Right? Something like that. Something like that. So, uh, fresh off of a conquering of the Chitauri homeworld. And the Chitauri are no joke. No, and he's just 
They're born to kill also. Yes. They that's were, all they do. That's all they do. They get into big blood death arenas and there's a really neat thing in this book yeah. about the blood from these stadiums where they like they have these gladiator battles and there's blood just spurting everywhere because of these crazy battles. But it's so cold on the Chitari planet that they crystallize and it turns into snow. Red it, snow. It turns into blood snow. And that's what the youngins eat. To The young Chitari, that's what they eat in order to like become... They're like christened for battle. This is how they come of age. Yeah. It was pretty gnarly and pretty cool. Totally awesome. So, yeah, and this is the thing. Thanos makes short work of this whole planet. One dude. Yeah. Just murders everybody sitting on the throne. And all of a sudden we have like a future Ghost Rider shows up. Yes. And at that point you're like, what the fuck is Ghost Rider doing here? Yeah, he's some weird like space motorcycle with like a glowing orb for a wheel. Is he wearing a space helmet? He totally is wearing a space helmet. Is he a skull wearing a space he's helmet? He's a flaming skull with a space helmet on. Okay. And he has no ears and he can hear, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense. He just looks cool. Yeah. That's all you need to know. Yeah, shut up. Stop thinking about it. Yeah. Shut up. And uh, and that's the first, I, as soon as he shows up, man, I think you had the same reaction we were talking about. It's like, what the fucking Ghost Rider is My here? first reaction was like, I don't know that I want Ghost Rider to be here right now. <laughs> In my Thanos comic. I was like really kind of like getting into a Thanos thing. I'm not a big Ghost Rider fan. You a big Ghost Rider fan? Not huge. No. No. There's one time I like, two times I like Ghost Rider. Mm-hmm. Robbie Reyes, the mm-hmm. first Robbie Reyes, and Jason Aaron did a Ghost Rider run. That was totally badass. Oh, that's right. I forget about um, that. But, you know, I could, Ghost Rider looks cool as fuck. I feel Visually like that's speaking, all Ghost Rider's got going for him is that he just looks really He sweet. looks so, a flaming skull, leather jacket, motorcycle. That is awesome. Yeah. You know, who can write that good? I don't know. It's just, where do you go from there? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you're not going to do nuance in the flaming skull motorcycle rider. Right. So it's got to just be completely over the top all the time, and you can't really keep that going. Right. It's got to be totally rock and roll. Yeah, like, exactly. And sometimes it's like, Jesus Christ. Okay. It's rock <laughs> yeah. and roll. I get it. So, so Ghost Rider shows up. Yeah. They have a little chit chat. Ghost Rider's from the future. He reveals to Thanos about this crazy big thing that's going to happen. And somehow he's able to compel Thanos to go with him, which is crazy because Thanos is the ultimate badass. Mm -hmm. And then we have a big, crazy, cool reveal at the end of the book. Yes. This book was great. We'll say no more. There's there's some great surprises in here. The art was killer. Get on the Donnie Cates train, y'all. Donnie Cates is the best. We've been talking about it left and right. The dude just don't quit. He's got a ton of books coming out. They're all good. I've been I've literally read, I think, this dude's entire output, maybe sans a book, mm-hmm. has not disappointed. He's very, very good. This is Thanos number 13. This is part one of the Thanos Wins storyline. It's a book about a villain, which is neat. It's big cosmic stuff. It's big, crazy, uh, celestial, huge power ideas of like power and what power is. This, that's why I like Thanos shit anyway. And this book is delivering on that, I think. Agreed, because you just got to go big with everything that's in, if you're doing Thanos, everything else has to be gigantic. Yeah. And that's a lot of fun because Cosmic Marvel is awesome. I like also that Thanos is just like dude-sized. Like he's not like Galactus-sized where he's like as big as a planet, you know? Yeah, man. He's like just like dude-sized, like a big dude. He's like a big-ass dude. Yeah, but, but, like, a, but dude like, size. like a 10-foot dude. Not like you think a, he's, te- yeah, he's probably ten feet tall, right? Yeah, yeah. That's probably and he's right. like six feet wide. That's the other thing. He's got a lot of width. He's a he's a wide man. Yeah, a lot of girth. His fist is like as big as his chest. Each fist, exactly. Thanos. Thanos thirteen. That's my big pick. Cool, Nick. Th- thank you. Did See, I was waiting for you to ask. Did you pick any comics? I'm not going to count that as a point for me. 
but you're on notice. <laughs> it was almost like a penalty. I... <laughs> My pick this week was Battle Angel Alita, the deluxe edition. My big pick this week was a book that came out in, I think, 1990 or something. 1989 or 1990. It has been around for a minute. But it hasn't been available in a reliable way, and it certainly has not been available in a beautiful remastered hardcover. Ever. Which is a new format that just released this week. The original cyberpunk classic, Battle Angel Alita. I have never read this book. I, was, I, I had never read it before. I am so glad you picked this book. I loved it so much. So Battle Angel Alita is about a dude who finds a robot head in a scrapyard. This is giant scrapyard kind of garbage heap under this floating city. And I think the floating city is called the scrapyard now that I think about it. I can't remember. The, fr- the floating city has a, like a cool name. The floating city is called the scrapyard. Oh, okay. That was the space city of Zalem. There it is. Lie the trash heaps of the scrapyard. There we go. So the scrapyard is like this giant at like district of the city that's all trash heaps and broken robots and shit. Anyway, finds a robot head. Robot head's still got a little juice in it. The guy who finds its name is Ido or Ido. I-D-O. I don't know how to pronounce it. He's his like name. a bounty hunter dude, scientist guy. He's a scientist. We don't know that he's a bounty hunter right away, but he is going to build a buddy out of this robot head that he finds. And the first thing he's got to do is start finding pieces of other robots to give her a body, right? And so he's like building this robot out. At first it gets, it's a little, I found it a little off-putting at first, and I think you're supposed to, that he's trying to build her into this like perfect young lady companion. Yeah. I mean, let's, a, let's be frank. I don't know that he was building her for to have sex with, but that's the vibe that is kind of being given off. You know, she's a little uh, overcute. She's a little overcute. He's grabbing, you know, he's, he's trying to like, he's finding all of these spare body parts to like help fill out there. Cause all she's got, he's got a head and that's it. And he just carries around the head and talks to her head. <laughs> what else would you talk to? So, over time, she starts to like starts to develop some of her own agency and decides that you know she wants a little bit of say in how she's going to be developed and what kind of person she's going to be because she has no memory of what she was like before she was ahead in a trash heap. Yep, before she was discarded. Yeah, mm-hmm. but at one point there is a a fight breaks out and she does this sweet crazy kick into the air and. Ido immediately recognized, like, oh, that's the Panzerfaust fighting technique. Why does she know that? That's crazy that she knows that. So there's something about Alita, which is the name of the robot that he's building, who she has some kind of crazy past. It involves some sort of really intense martial art that nobody else knows about. And we're we're going off from there. Alita decides that she wants to be a bounty hunter, which is a you know, a profession that you can take on this world. And it's really easy. You just like go and get a barcode stamped on your arm and you show him like, yo, give me a job. And then you go kill the thing and bring it back. It's like right. a pretty common thing. It turns out Ido is also one of these bounty hunters. I think that's a great world that you want to live in. We're just like, ho-hum, I'm a bounty hunter. Ho-hum, now I'm a bounty hunter now. I'll be a cook. Well, I'll be a bounty hunter. That's intense. Yeah. I think you can like, you know what's a bummer is I think you could basically do that now. You, you could? I feel like it. Oh, well, there's that guy, Dog the Bounty Hunter. That's like what he did. I think I feel like he just got the little stamp and then... Yeah, and a stupid haircut and then... 
You oh, just let you do it. On Earth, you do have to get a really shitty mullet. That's yes. one of the requirements. <laughs> so that's a bummer. So this book was great. It reminded me a lot of Astro Boy, but like rated R Astro Boy. Yeah. Because it's about a, a scientist building a robot and some of the complexities involved, like when you're building something, but that also is sentient and has a lot of power and maybe has more power than you and you're trying to figure it out. But take that and turn it into a sexy killer robot. Sounds weird when I say it that way. Yeah. But it works really, really well. And this guy, uh, let me find uh, Yukito Kishiro, is really, really good at drawing action. Uh, it's super good. It's kinetic as hell. And it's really, cl- even though it's all in black and white, and even though it's robots fighting robots, uh, the art is amazing, and you follow all of the movement so well. So I'm reading Berserk right now. Yes. Also at the recommendation of somebody that works at Vault of Midnight. And it's a great book, and it's equally as impactful. Like, Berserk is widely considered like one of the most impactful, important pieces of manga ever to be produce- produced, right? Yeah. Alongside Battle Angel Alita, which is like often in that like classic pantheon of sci-fi manga. This is part of my my first wave of yeah. anime. That this is right there with Ghost in the Shell. Yeah, and uh, all the seminal early '90s manga and anime that I was into. This was, you know, um, uh, Ninja Scroll. It was right sure, there sure, with sure. all those huge animes that I was watching at that time. But with Berserk, it's hard to tell what's going on sometimes. It's like, and for as as actiony as that book is, you can't follow it as well. And that's the thing with a lot of early like manga from that period. It's it's not always as crisp, and it's right. not always as like clear how sweet this person is at fighting as you want them to be. Do you know what I mean? And this book absolutely nails it. There's another moment just before we move on where there's like this giant muscle-bound robot. It's one of the first bounties Alita goes after. Yes. And he's addicted to the endorphins in brains. Yes. And there's like this little, um, there's this little footnote that talks about how brains have an endorphin in them that's like you know, 10 times more powerful than methamphetamine or something like that. So, But this dude has to eat fresh brains constantly in order to like keep his buzz going. And that's fucking, that's just a crazy thing to put in a comic book. This is a, and he's a crazy looking character and holy shit, the fight is amazing. Like I haven't read this comic in 10 years. I can still remember it. Yeah. That's how kick-ass it was. It's really, really great. And that is like within the first, you know, 10th of the book, they drop that on you. So I can't wait to finish it and keep reading Battle Angel Alita because I totally slept on it and it's fantastic. And now, and now you can read it for the first time. In a beautiful hardcover. Yeah, thanks, Kodansha Comics. Thanks, Kodansha Comics. Kodansha? Yeah. Yeah. Kodansha. So that's it. There's only two big peaks. Big peaks, bro. <laughs> There's only two big peaks? So which one? This I don't know is, what that accent how, was I was doing. This is how we're going to pick the next point. This is how we're going to award the next point. Okay. But we both have to be very honest with each other and be honest with but our hearts. But this is easy. This is a, I, I know where you're I going agree. with this. I agree. This you is son really of a easy. bitch. Whose pick was better? Well, I liked it first, though. Which one? The obvious choice here. Battle Angel Alita? Yeah! Which was my pick this week. Man, I... Two to one! Hey, eat it. Moving on. Our taser this week is focused on Watchmen? For some reason? 
Why? So first of all, what's a taser, Curtis? Taser is the tactical awesome summary. Yes. Excitement research. Researched. Duh. Yeah. Fantastic. We dig deep. We dig we, deep. We take an item. Yes. A thing. And we go all the way downtown. We get into it. We move around there. We live there. Just like a taser. Just like in a, like you would with a taser. Yeah. And we find out a bunch of stuff, and then we tell you all about it. That's our taser. And this week, the taser is digging up uh, some info on Watchmen. Just such an old comic. The, the seminal Alan Moore, Dave Gibbons classic. Yes. That everybody knows about. Yeah. Even if you've never read comics. Everybody knows about it. Everybody's heard of Watchmen. Yeah. Watchmen, and the reason we're talking about it is because DC had a huge release this week, and it was Doomsday Clock. Number one. Doomsday Clock. So Watchmen came out in the 80s. It was its own thing. It was a bunch of unique characters. It was 12 issues, and then it was done. Correct. And DC is releasing this book called Doomsday Clock, which is something that they've been hinting at for like a year now. It's been a minute, since Rebirth even. Since Rebirth, so a year. Yeah. A year, year and a month or so. Something like this. And they have been, f- the the idea behind this book that is finally out today is to fold the Watchmen universe into the DC universe. And it's happening via this new series called Doomsday Clock. Right. There's a character from Watchmen. His name is Dr. Manhattan. Mm. He's essentially God. And, and maybe he's been messing with reality this yeah. whole time. The whole time. Because, yes, as you said, Watchmen was a separate thing. It was designed to just be its own little unique encased little thing, not part of the big yes. DC continuity. Yeah. But, but as you get thirsty for money, everybody loves Watchmen, right? And money. And money. Mm-hmm. And how can we get people to spend some more money? Yeah. Maybe we'll just make Watchmen. The, we'll just tell them Watchmen hangs out with Superman sometimes. Yep. That's Doomsday Clock. That, in a nutshell. Taser over. <laughs> so, let's talk a little bit about Watchmen. Let's do it. Watchmen was created by Alan Moore, Dave Gibbons, colored by John Higgins. It's probably one of the most celebrated and awarded comics in the history of comics. It represented a sea change in the way people think about comics and the way people write comics. Yeah, there's before Watchmen. Yes. And then there's after Watchmen. This is in the mid-80s, I think 85? Something 86? Something yeah. Something like mm-hmm. that. And this is coming right around the same period that Dark Knight Returns comes out by Frank Miller. And it is a new way of looking at superheroes. It is part of this wave of what's, you know, the idea is that they're deconstructing the superhero. And what does that mean? It means that we have there's a lot of tropes kind of associated with superheroes. It was pretty well worn, well trod territory by that point in the mid '80s. We've had comics for 50 years. Yes, at that point, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. About oh, yeah. 50 years. So there are things that people have come to expect out of superheroes, and creators like Alan Moore and Frank Miller are for the first time ever trying to say, like, well, why do we think those things? What do superheroes say about us? And they're also colored by stuff that's happening in society in the 80s. But we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. How does Bat- does Batman get his own gas for the Batmobile? Exactly. You know, like, where does he buy his underpants? Yes. Does he even buy, what is he, boxers or briefs? Right. The big questions. The big stuff. So, what's Watchmen about? Could you give a synopsis of Watchmen? I don't want to put you on the spot. It starts with the murder of a superhero. Yes. And that acts as like the center point around which everything else is is focused. Yeah, so essentially you had a world where superheroes existed and they did stuff and they wore their costumes and helped society. 
But then uh, superheroes were outlawed and everybody's retired. Mm -hmm. And some superheroes, the few that are left, either work for the government or are employed privately, but they can't just be, you just can't be a superhero anymore. That's illegal. Yeah. So this, like you said, this this death of the comedian brings the heroes back out. Who's because, one of the most famous superheroes. Yes, it is. Yeah, very, very famous. Hung out with presidents and, yeah. you know, played golf with the Kennedys. He's and, one of the dudes that went to go work for the government. Yes. And he dies, and this sparks this investigation by another character, which then just uncovers this grand conspiracy that maybe somebody is is killing off ex-superheroes. And specifically ex-superheroes that were part of this Justice League-ish equivalent. The, the Watchmen. The Watchmen. So uh, it goes from there, and it leads into this... It gets into this massive storyline that's not... It's really... The, the death of this character is just the tip of this huge, huge conspiracy yes. by this other character who's orchestrating something that's going to change the face of of humankind on yep. Earth. So it, it's a big old multi-layered beauty. Yes. So, created by Alan Moore, this is in 1985, Alan Moore is hot shit. He's one of the biggest writers in comics at this point. What can't. had he done? He'd done Swamp Thing Yes. at that point. Which was a hugely influential book, continues to be. Well, yeah, because mm -hmm. for different reasons. He takes Swamp Thing, which is a character that was, you know, kind of like a minor character. It has moments of success in He's the like past. He's like a horror movie sort of a yeah. trope. But he adds, like, pathos and all this depth to this character that it, it didn't have before. It's, like, a, very much about what happens to a sad man that is also a swamp monster. Right. And can he connect and have any humanity and yeah. stuff like this? Yeah. So he's one of the biggest writers in comics by this point already. He's, like, he's, he's really, like, making his mark. He's making his name in the business. He's looking for his next project, and he recently had a lot of success with Miracle Man, which tackles some of the same ideas, but still plays it a little bit more straight to the superhero angle of things. Yeah, he does the Miracle Man as a as a god who contemplates, yeah, like a mortal that contemplates what it is to be a god. Yeah. So his plan is to revamp another known but obscure and out of print hero like Miracle Man was. Uh, you know, it, it worked really well with Miracle Man. He still has more to say on the idea of superheroes. So he's he's got this idea that he's been cooking on, and he wants to find another out-of-print superhero to kind of, like, test this idea out on. Because you can't do it with the Justice League. You just can't. Yeah, nobody will let you do that. Nobody will let you do mm -hmm. that. It'll, make, it'll change the way people look at the character. You might have to kill off some characters. There's really not an idea of that point as, like, be pretty fucking rad, actually, if you just did a 12-part thing that's completely contained, and it's just, and it's the story of Watchmen, right. but all of the characters are, you know, Dr. Manhattan is Superman. Yes. Right? You know, uh, I guess Rorschach is Batman, kind of? I don't know, because Night Owl might be Batman. Night Owl but... might be Batman. Anyway, you see what yeah. I'm getting at. No, that would be very cool. I'm saying do do that, yeah. but... But you couldn't do it at this right. point in the 80s. So DC recently acquired Charlton Comics, which Moore began to write around. He took these characters and starts writing the Watchmen story for these characters. And the biggest one that's probably the most recognizable one is Blue Beetle, who is his direct analog is the Night Owl. Correct. In Watchmen. But the managing editor of DC, Dick uh, Giordano, rejects the idea of using these. Like, we just bought these. Right. You're going to kill them or they're going to be screwed up forever because of these horrible things that you're going to do. It's a, and they're serious PG characters, they're right? PG they're PG characters. Yeah. And he knows more and he knows what more is going to do with them. So he says, you know, why not? he encourages him to write like original characters and more agrees. So his thinking behind the idea in the first place, he has a, a cool quote. And he said, that'd be a good way to start a comic book. Have a famous superhero found dead. This is an Alan Moore quote. 
Quote, as the mystery unraveled, we would be led deeper and deeper into the real heart of this superhero's world and show a reality that was very different to the general public image of the superhero, end quote. Great jump off. Which is a great jump off. And mm-hmm. that is his approach. And that is, you know, it it goes and you, you can say a lot about what he was able to accomplish from that. And, sure. you know, how successful he was at trying to do that. But nobody was thinking about superheroes in that way. In the 80s. Nobody was thinking about comic books in that way in the mid-80s. Absolutely not. The lead-up to this book, DC put these little stamps in the bottom corner of their comic books that said, Who Watches the Watchmen? Yeah. It was like this lead-up. I remember going in the comic store. For other DC books. For other DC books. Right. So it was like this kind of ominous, like, what Without knowing what that was. You don't know what that is. It just said, Who Watches the Watchmen? For what? Like months leading up to it? A couple months leading up to it. Yeah. Yeah. And by the time you get this first issue, it doesn't look like anything else. I mean, the first page of Watchmen in 1986 was like, what is happening? There is nothing even close. So the first script for that first issue of Watchmen was 101 pages long, single space. For uh, what, 28 page? 28 page comic. Yeah. And it is just these huge, this is how Alan Moore writes comics. It's like these huge, long, ponderous paragraphs of like every single panel and like the... The, th- the thought and metaphor behind every single thing that could be happening in this panel. The goal from the beginning of the project is to create something with weight. And Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons know this is what they're doing when they set out to do this book. They want to take the superhero genre seriously as something that could carry like literary heft. Yeah? Sure. I You could argue that... Watchmen is groaning under that weight at times. Absolutely. And that it's like, it's too much. And you can read how hard they're trying to inject like gravitas into this book. But again, it's no one had bothered to do that with superhero comics before that point. And that sounds trite to say, but it's, it really is revolutionary to think of comics as literature. And Alan Moore was one of the first dudes to really lean into that idea and execute it. And, and with superheroes. Take that genre stuff exactly. and, and do that. You know, because you've got, you know, other examples, just a few, not many, before that maybe Mouse, a few things. But this is with capes and cowls. Yes. And and that's very cool. There's Yeah. So, and for everything that Watchmen achieves, and we're going to talk about that in a second— I don't know that, like, Alan Moore, I don't mean regret saying this on a podcast, but I don't know that Alan Moore had the chops to, like, hit that high bar that he set for himself. I don't know if he had the writing chops to set, to to do what he wanted to do with something so weighty. But I don't know that anybody did at that point. I don't know that it's his fault. I think he had really lofty ambitions, and you have to credit him for that if nothing else. He just... He he just shot the fucking moon on this yeah, book, and and it was successful and not successful in parts. But he was he they they went all in. Oh yeah, there's some seriously goofy bits in this book. Yeah, but in in this in your mileage will vary on this depending on where you are. Well, the first time I read Watchmen, it was like the mo- the best thing that I'd ever read in comics. Yeah. Holy shit, this is... Let's come back to that. Okay. Because I want to hear about... Because you were... Were you reading it at the time? Were you reading comics in the mid-80s? Absolutely. Cool. Let's come back to yeah. it. Yeah. So the end of this... This book comes out. It is a huge success. It's a big deal. And immediately people recognize that something pretty cool had happened. But there was some weird legal stuff involved in the creation and ownership rights. Is that right? For sure. Yeah. Uh, this got a little bit ugly. Got a lot of bit ugly. This is why Alan Moore now is known a little bit as the, you know, a lot of it as the cranky wizard. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a eight foot tall 
cranky wood wizard now. And it's thanks to this clause that was in his contract for DC Comics for both Watchmen and V for Vendetta. Mm-hmm. And so it's got this big, nice contract, and he was assured that, hey, after this goes out of print, the rights will revert to you and Dave Gibbons. You will have full ownership of the Watchmen and V for Vendetta after one year of these books not being in print. Because this, this was negotiated. Alan Moore is a big deal in the industry, and yep. he, he has created original characters. These are He's not using DC shit. Correct. And there's quotes from him at the time being very happy with this deal. Hey, great. We did this thing. They're going to do it for a while. But the rule is once it goes out of print, they become yours. It'll be ours. Seems foolproof. Right. So what happened? So DC decides that, hey, the people seem to like this and we're making a ton of money. Uh-huh. It's their best selling graphic novel. Watchmen is by a hundred times. Yeah. By a thousand times probably. And they decide, hey, we'll never let this thing go out of print ever. Yeah. And this is where we find ourselves. So Alan Moore never had those rights reverted to him. Never. Or Dave Gibbons. Correct. And uh, this this really got up Alan Moore's butt. But surely- As it should have. Surely when the movie came out, they, you know, just in the sake of fairness, they renegotiated a new contract to make sure that he got justly compensated for this work that he created. Absolutely not. And if you've ever seen Watchmen, yeah, I know it sucks. They created a new entity, which is like Watchmen movie, which is different than Watchmen proper. Right. So he's unconnected to that financially yeah. and creatively in every way. I think Dave Gibbons, uh, Dave Gibbons did uh, negotiate something and worked with yeah. the mo- movie guys and got a little bit and got some credit on the film. But Alan Moore kind of, uh, you know, obstinately and maybe justifiably obstinately was like, this whole shit is mine. I'm not going to negotiate with you because I've been treated unfairly yeah. for 30 years. And they extended him an offer for the film. And he turned his back on it. He said, yeah. absolutely not. So, and, and it's hard to, you know, a lot of people would say, well, hey, just take the money at this point. But yeah, that's a dick move, DC Comics. Huge dick move. It's, it's top 100 novel list of all time. Oh, constantly. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's It regularly shows up in just the best pieces of literature of all time. Yeah, I think I, there's a list that's like the best novels written since 1923. Yeah. You know, it's number, you know, 26. That's crazy. And this dude, you know, is, sees, he still sees a tiny bit of, there is a, sure. like 8% or something royalty thing that he still gets, which is probably paying him yeah, But he should nicely. own it all. Yeah. So that sucks. And then after all that shit went down, Alan Moore- you know, soured on DC and and mainstream comics in general, and he kind of turned his back on on doing anything other than his own creator own stuff. Right. So. And then we had before Watchmen, right, released by DC four or five years ago. Correct. Uh, which Alan Moore had nothing to do with. None. I feel like Dave Gibbons was involved in that project a little bit, though. That I don't know. Uh, but top talent was certainly involved. Yeah. You and, know. And now we have Doomsday Clock. Again, no yes. Alan Moore. Correct. Nowhere to be seen. Okay, so paint a picture for me. It's 1985. You are probably 26 or 27 years old. Yeah. In the mid-80s. Yeah. And you go into a comic shop, and Watchmen's there. How old were you, really? 15. You're 15 years old. Yes. And you, you've seen these things in the corner. It says, Watchmen is coming. Yes. Who watches Who the Watchmen? Who watches the Watchmen? And you, you're so you're ready for it. Yeah, and we had a really cool comic shop in town at the time, Ayavagamoto, and so they, you know, the guy who worked there was hyping me up about it. I spent a lot of time in the comic shop in those days. I didn't work in a comic book store yet, but I was there, just hanging out, three to four days a week. Yeah. It was ridiculous. 
If I had $4, I was at the comic book shop. Mm -hmm. That's where I was. If I got any money, took some bottles back to the store, found some change in the couch, let's go get some comic books. Yeah. So the lead up to that was excellent, and I was very, very hyped. Uh-huh. So, First um, issue comes out. Yeah. Do you remember it? Absolutely. Where were you? You read it at home? Yes. And uh, I probably went to school that day and didn't skip school. Okay. Because who would do that? And, uh, man, I had read superhero stuff. I'd read a lot of Conan comics at that point. Yeah. I read some underground comics. So I was familiar with comics that, like, swore or had boobs or talked about smoking weed. Sure. But this was different. I mean, the opening page of Watchmen, to anybody who's ever read this, is this uh, guy being murdered and Rorschach just having this diatribe about the filth of the city. Yeah. You know, and the scab-encrusted gutter is overflowing with the pus of, Ooh. you know, and it's like wild, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's just like, what is this? Um, so it was game changer, man. There's not, there's just nothing like it. And you it. knew it immediately that it was a game changer. One issue in, not even an issue in, four pages in. Like, I've never seen anything like this. The, I didn't know it at the time because I wasn't really keyed into the construction of comics, but that nine-panel grid yeah. that they, they So the used. whole book is written around a framework of nine panels. Yes, three, three, three. Three by three. Yes. And sometimes you spread one of those into, you know, those those three bangers into one. Correct. So that it turns into like a seven-panel page or whatever. Right. Or you might do a splash page, but there's not many splash pages in Watchmen from what I remember. I don't remember any. But there, the whole thing is framed around the nine-panel, which is a very... It's a very classic superhero thing. This is how, you know, the nine panel thing is the basic construction of what you think of when you think of a superhero comic. Right. It was the standard for comic books, right? Absolutely. And he's, so they're doing that on purpose. They're leaning into what our ids think of when we think of comic book. Well, th there's just Rorschach stuff, one of the characters' names, Rorschach. Yeah. But in the comic, the way they would do images that would remind you of stuff that were in fact Rorschach tests yeah. in the comic was absolutely nuts. The, the, it, everything was so meticulously built. Nothing is, was there by accident. It's like a, think of your favorite filmmaker. Everything that's in frame, the way it's colored, the way it's lit, the angle yeah. that you're seeing it from, everything was considered and built. The end of each comic had like another comic? Well, they had, uh, there was a separate tale that ran the Black Frigate? Yeah, Tales of the Black Freighter. Freighter. Yeah. And this kid who was hanging out at the newsstand, you know, he's one of the kind of the side characters who's reading this Tales of the Black Freighter. Yeah, but we got to read it along with him yes. over the course of the book. Correct, and he would open, and it was so cool because he'd open the, up the comic and then the comic would go into that comic. Yeah. Very cool. And that comic is a metaphor for the comic you're reading and yes. like is an analog for the comic that you're reading. The end of each book also had, would have like, long fake news articles or dossier documents. An excerpt from the Night Owl's book or... Yeah. Yeah. And it just, and it was all prose and it just like completely fleshed out this world. It just gave so much, it, you should never seen anything like this. I know I keep saying that, but it injected a depth into this world that Alan Moore had created that it was familiar to you because you recognize these as superheroes and I know what the rules of superheroes are, but he's given you even more of this like weird nuance dark world with this with, with all this back matter. Yeah. It, yeah, it, we're this we're talking about it 20 however 39 years it's later. It's not nothing. So, I, as I'm thinking about it, there's a few things that kind of set Watchmen apart. So, for one thing, the way the book messed with time. So, going back, he went back and forth from issue to issue, filling in backstory and telling origin issues. So, originally 
Moore said that he only had enough story for six issues. And he realized he could pad it out if he just split up every other issue with a story about the past. Right. Keep the plot moving, but give you a little bit of information about somebody in the story. So we were doing this crazy thing in the book where we're like in the present and then we're in the past. And then we're in the present and then we're in the past. And everything is informing all of the moving forward plot points, which is really, really neat and really crazy. The other thing is that this book took a lot of pains to fold superheroes into our reality. So events occurred the same in this world up until 1938. And then the first superhero came on the scene and then there's ripples from 1938, right? So we have all the same events in history, but they're all just, they've got a little, they got a little superhero in them. So like for the U.S. won the Vietnam War. Yeah, thanks to a 50-foot Dr. Manhattan. Yeah, and the comedian with two flamethrowers. Exactly. And there's the, there is the Watergate scandal. Like Nixon does all of the shitty things that are behind the Watergate scandal, but nobody knows about it because the superheroes are able to keep it quiet. So there's just the, the, the effort he went to to like give to add just verisimilitude into the world and make it seem like something that's plausible in our reality, yep. right? The way that this book tackled all this stuff earnestly, like there was no Biff Bam Pow stuff in this book. It just it it tackled it as with as much realism as they could, even though there was big ideas like Doctor Manhattan is a crazy god. Absolutely, right? he it, he can change reality. Yeah, create and negate atoms. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's a he's a in in a way of looking at Superman, but like expanded out to the nth degree. Right, he's just completely omnipotent and you know all powerful. But it does that all with earnestness you know what i mean it does that all without uh without any of the trappings of like fun superhero stuff oh yeah no everything that manhattan says is like scary and yeah and so big concept wise conceptually like i don't i don't want to think about what it is to really be a god yes it's it's too much every alleyway fight you know it, when Batman fights 10 dudes in uh, you know, a video game, it's no big deal. He's just like beating the shit out of 10 dudes. Yeah. Like they get done fighting in Watchmen, like people's knuckles hurt. Every punch you throw, every move you make right. has weight. Right. Yeah. And the other thing that I think you have to give Watchmen credit for is that like Morin Gibbons saw Watchmen as like this dense piece of art and not as a commercial product, which is silly now to think about, but that's how comics were viewed and that's how comics continued to be viewed for a long time after and maybe like we're just now in 2017 32 years later like starting to think about comics really seriously and the wider world is starting to think about comics really seriously yeah but we're, we're even now we're not there but, and even now we're yeah. not there yep not for most people anyway if you're listening to this podcast then you are probably there but for most people that's not how they think of comics and that's where Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons were in 1985 that they are trying to not they're trying to make art they're not trying to sell a comic everybody else around them is trying to sell a comic I wonder if that's one of the reasons that Alan Moore also hates this whole thing like because everybody fucking loves it you know what I mean (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah, it just sold really, really good. It's critically acclaimed. You think he's just you know? so he, he just <laughs> well, he's just he, trying to like you know, right in your face. Take that, mother truckers! You know, and uh, everybody loves it. Yeah, it fucking eats it up. You know, you, you you'd think everybody would have been pissed about it, and that <laughs> right. would have like made Alan Moore really pleased. Exactly. How dare you do this to comics and our heroes? Yeah, 
you know? <laughs> and yeah. Didn't, and he didn't Fuck get that you. reaction. Yeah. So how do you feel about Watchmen today? So that was 15-year-old Curtis. Uh-huh. How does this Curtis sitting right here feel about it? Man, I've read Watchmen every probably two years for since the first time I read it. Yeah. Read it so many times. Ten times. I don't know. It's 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 intense. It's a hard read. The last time I read it, maybe two years ago, it was exhausting. You know, the older I get, the less cynical I get. And I don't know if that's how you how it works. I'm trying to squash cynicism. I'm trying to like not be angry. I'm trying to be able to let things wash over me and let them go. I don't know. Last time I read uh, Watchmen, I found Rorschach to just be unbearable. He's such a heavy-handed absolutist. Yeah, and I, and I get it. You're supposed to hate You're him. Supposed he's supposed to, hate to be despicable. Exactly, right? right? But he's hard to spend time with. It's, that's the thing, right? And and the last time I read it, I did notice that it was starting to wear on me a little bit. Because yeah. even by the end, I mean, it's you have to be grown up about the realities of of you know. What does that What does that voice mean? What do you What does that mean? You know, so Watchmen is realistic in the sense that folks have to make tough decisions. Mm-hmm. You have to go to war. People are going to die. You know, to protect the good people sure uh and watch or what they think in their mind of it yeah right and and watchman is is saying that you know there's the the plot of this thing is there's this big catastrophic thing that has to happen and who's going to make the call and it, it's very intense it's a great book and i think it's still good there's a lot of things i really really love about it but just be ready especially if you've um you know like some lighter fare to to go away with it you know go away feeling some heavy shit's gonna happen in that book. Sure, it sure, doesn't sure. end in a in a great way. Sure, sure, sure. You know, so I mean, it's hard to. I don't want to for those who haven't read it. If there's the two people left who haven't read Watchmen, do we have to worry about spoiling Watchmen? I don't know. Should don't we despoil it? Who cares? I was gonna say, uh, you know, Ozymandias, one of the main characters, makes this this master plan. He's gonna kill tens of millions of people mm-hmm. the world over. He's gonna in order to bring humanity together. T- together, if we have this massive crisis and this massive horrible thing, and all these people die, then maybe finally humankind will move beyond borders. We'll move beyond governments mm-hmm. and come together. So you know, you want a fun fact about that? Yeah, this was uh, also an episode of the Twilight Zone. Oh, that ending, and Len Wein, who is the editor of Watchmen, right, pointed this out to Alan Moore. And their arguments about changing the ending caused Len Wein to quit the project. Holy shit. Yeah. Because Len Wein's like, no, you, you, you can't do this because it's, it's already been done and it's something. And for my money, this is just me talking, Nick mm-hmm. Weibar. Yeah. That's, I, I think the ending of Watchmen sucks. I think it's a kind of a, there, he, there's like a big crazy alien that shows up. And anyway, I think it's, pretty, it's a pretty weak ending. For something that took 12 pages of decades spanning, massive, you know, this very complex story. I think it, it comes down to something kind of silly. Yeah, the character building in this is absolutely incredible. But yeah, that, that's a hokey yeah. moment. And it's a price that is too much for me. Like, I get done with this and I'm like, I'm not satisfied. You know, that sucks. Yeah, yeah. You know, and there's going to be stories that end and you're not happy. And of they course. have a sucky ending and I'm yeah, fine yeah, yeah. with that. I don't need everybody to hold hands and go off into the sunset, but... It's pretty fucking intense, man. Yeah. But uh, we should say that. I didn't know that, but the last page, I didn't know about the Len Wein thing. Yeah. It's dedicated to Len Wein. Dedicated to Len Wein. Uh, Doomsday Clock number yeah. one. Who died while this was being developed. There you go. Len Wein. While Doomsday Clock was being developed. So, yeah, I got. I have a hard time reading Watchmen as well now. 
When's the last time you read it? Probably a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I do the same thing. Like every few years, I try to like reread Watchmen. And there's nothing like the first time you read it. Right. Right. I, my beef with it now is that it just, it's a little thinner than it wants to be. Like the characters are actually a little less, they have less dimension than they kind of would appear to at first glance. Sure. No matter how hard Alan Moore is trying to inject all this, all their pathos into everything. And the story, like the overall plot for all of its building actually doesn't come to a lot. And it's... And like you say, like it's hard to spend time with those people, and then the more time you spend with them, there's not a lot of payoff for for I think what you get out of it. But that being said, I I, I can know that, and I I can know just as like a piece of comic book. Comic books have like come a really long way, and they a lot of comics, whether they like it or not, have Watchmen to thank for that. Um, it changed the way people wrote comics. It changed the way that people think about what comics are capable of. I can know I, I can think that that piece of work is maybe not something that I want to, you know, it, it wouldn't be my favorite if it came out today, probably. Right. But uh, you, you, recognizing what it, where it belongs in the pantheon is, is it's pretty clear. Yeah, and the fact that I've gone back to it so many times, yeah, I think says a lot. And I know those characters as well as any fictional characters that I've ever known, for sure. You know, and that's an ensemble cast, and I feel like I could wax about every single character in that book, totally. you know, inside and out, you know, which is pretty incredible. I couldn't couldn't say that about many things. Yeah. But uh I you know, if you haven't read it, if you're one of the last holdouts, it's it is worth a read. It's very important. Yeah. I would argue that it's not a book you give to and it commonly is asked for and given to people that don't read comics, and I don't think it's a great entryway into I would, comics. I would not be if somebody asked me that you need read 20 books, read 100 books before you read Watchmen. Absolutely. Comic books. Get to Watchmen after you know what is the thing, what's the framework Watchmen's working out of. Sure. I don't think it's the book you go into when you're trying to, you know, check out comics for the first time. New. And it, it's, it's very frequently, because of its renown, because it's on, you know, best novels of all time lists, and because they talk about it on NPR and shit. It's like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a book for people that have a context to understand it out of. I think we'll enjoy it more. Sure, it deconstructs comics. So first, no comics. Yeah. You know? Ideally. That, yeah, read read All-Star Superman first. We'll, we'll start with that. Yeah. I mean, you can do whatever you want. I don't give a shit, but I'm just saying. So, very, very quickly, Doomsday Clock released today. Uh, what what did you think? I thought it was fabulous. Yeah. I, I'm really, really into it. I, I want to see what Jeff... I think Jeff Johns is the... The anti Alan Moore, and from by that I mean he loves superheroes mm-hmm. and he loves continuity, and, and he's he's so steeped in the DC uh, universe and mythology, and he knows Watchmen backwards and forwards also. Yeah. So he is do the first the cover of this book is the first panel. It's Gary Frank doing the art. They're doing the nine panel thing. There's artistic throwbacks. On every single page, there's dialogue throwbacks. And it's not all just in service of like, hey, remember Watchmen? We're doing a Watchmen thing. I thought it had a lot to offer. I've got a ton of questions. Had a great last page. I was excited for this book. After reading it, I am I cannot wait to see where Jeff Johns goes with this. I think he's an incredibly talented writer. And he loves comic books. And I, I just love people who have an unabashed affection for this shit. Yeah. You know, it's easy to talk shit about people who wear their underwear on the outside and they're blue and they're red, and it's so easy to make fun of this stuff. Johns has a reverence for it, and his knowledge is is unsurpassed. Yeah. So I, I got to say, give it a look. I, I thought it was so fucking cool. 
Nick, what did you think? Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm interested in it just because it's interesting as an idea. I don't know why this exists. I don't know why Doomsday Clock exists, to be honest with you. I don't need Watchmen to exist in a universe with DC characters. And that's what this is. This, mm-hmm. this is what we're doing. We're folding mm-hmm. it into the, you know. I don't know why if you're going to do that, you mimic the original material so much. That's, I found it a little off-putting, actually, the nine-panel thing. and the. It really feels like they're reaching for... For that same, they're they're reaching for a nostalgia. They're reaching for that audience right. in a way that's a little thirsty to me. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, if they only do that, if right? they only do that, this is the yep. first issue. Yep. It's a 12 part thing, so they've 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 got a long way to go. And so, but those are the the two big things. And then the third thing was that I just don't. Every, this was before Watchmen too. That when I was reading it, the book before Watchmen, I don't know that I want to spend any more time in that world because it does kind of bum me out. Right, and it does. It is kind of. It was maybe important. The things that it had to say were important in the '80s, but I don't. I think we've moved past a lot of the the messages and themes behind Watchmen. So I don't know. I'm just. I have a hard time getting excited about it. Mm-hmm. But it's very fucking interesting. And like you said, I like Je- Jeff Johns knows what he's doing. So I I want to see where he goes. And that, that's my hope, right? Is he's gonna un- unwind some of this stuff? Yeah. Right. We're starting here. We're starting really heavy and Watchmeny, and we're gonna unwind as we go. And by that I mean, you know, Johns is his whole thing is like let's. Bring stuff out of the darkness. Yeah. Dark doesn't mean real. Realistic doesn't mean miserable and horrible. Right. You know, and and, and I get down with that. So. For sure. Woo! That was a hell of a podcast, man. That's that's the end of Watchmen. Check out Doomsday Clock. Check out Watchmen eventually if you haven't yet. It's probably worth doing. I think it's worth doing. Absolutely. You should. So at the we're at two to one, Nick. Are we? But I didn't manage the clock very well, and we can't even do our board game review that we were scheduled for. So so you fucked up. I think that's a point for you. <laughs> so I think we're going to have to call it a tie. Okay. Even though I hate that. I find that unsatisfactory as an ending. I would have loved to just have beaten you outright. Well, technically, I get the point for Battle Angel Alita because I was reading that before you Oh, sorry. You were did born. you pick it? Oh, did you well, pick it? Well, I read it way before you were even alive. So Before I was even alive? Yeah. When do you think I was born? In 1984. This book came out in the 90s. You were born in 1992 then. That's what it was. We'll call it a tie. All right. I offer you a tie. Uh, well, I offer you a draw. I will let you take the tie even though I won by one point. Thank you very much. That's very magnificent. Happy Thanksgiving. Hey, happy Thanksgiving to you, buddy. <laughs> that was great. Great two-man show. It was a great two-man show. I don't know. that we don't need, Who needs anybody else? Don't need Rachel. Nope. Rachel's not here. Don't need Marcus. Marcus not here. Just these two dudes and our wits and our balls. And, and our words. And our words and our wits. And that's going to do it for this week. It's another episode of Super Skull in the can. Our producer and editor is Rachel Polk. Wherever she is today, I think she's visiting uh, Civil War battle sites. Really? No. Oh. I, want, I, th- I hope that's what she's doing. Maybe that is what she's doing. She's playing like a fiddle. Yeah. Ken Burns or the narrator from all those Ken Burns documentaries just behind her, just like saying what she's doing. Uh, our music was created by A-Bomb. Super Skull is recorded every week at the Annabelle District Library. Somebody please subscribe, download, and review the Super Skull Show on iTunes, also on Stitcher. Please do that. And if you would, please follow us on Twitter and Facebook and on our website. Super Skull Show is how you find us. Super Skull is brought to you by Vault of Midnight. It's Earth's finest comic books and stuff and podcasts since 1996. My name is Nick Wybar. 
And I am Kung Fu Banana. And we wish you very good reading until next week. Happy Thanksgiving, you guys. Here is the news. What did Walter Cronkite? Walter Cronkite said, fuck it, let's do it. And then he would just yeah. go right in. Fuck it, we'll do it live. That was Bill O'Reilly who said that. Walter Cronkite said, fuck it, let's do it right now. Who was the good night and good luck guy? That I don't, I don't know. Remember that dude? That's not Cronkite? He would end every segment with, good night and good luck. Which is kind of ominous if you think Super about it. Super intense. Like, what do you mean good luck? No, we're bas- you're telling us we're all fucked. Good night and good luck is I don't know what's going to happen to you. <laughs> Will we even be here tomorrow, any of us? Probably not.